Welcome to Roger and me, everybody, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and me movie reviews. If you're getting into the SEO game, uh, Roger and me is a weekly movie review podcast where we aim to celebrate the late, great Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, of course, and keep their unique spirits of film criticism alive by reviewing all new movies every week set for theatrical release and sometimes streaming, depending on the streaming platform, the movie, very case by case. But we do cover a wide swath of films, and there's even more coverage on markreviewsmovies.com, with, uh, where my co-host and film critic Mark Dusick writes all of his reviews and where he's been doing that for 20-plus years, I believe. Hello, Mark. Unmuting helps, yes. <laughs> oh, I was like, is he, is he here? Is I am here. here? Okay, I am great. here. Yeah, that is something yeah, Ebert and Siskel and Ebert didn't have to deal with the technology aspect. Like, exactly. is yeah. is Siskel here? <laughs> so yeah, twenty plus years working on it. Just yeah, just keep going. Keep on it's chugging. Uh, we've I got have... seven, seven movies this week, including two pretty big mainstream releases, and then like literally five movies I don't think I'd even heard of until MarkReviewsMovies.com put them on my radar. And it's one of those weeks where. Yes, there's some stuff that's like borderline, definitely not great, but nothing really bad. And there's stuff that I would have never watched had I not heard of it on your website that is that might end up on my best of the year, end of the year list. And that's insane I, for Jan- for the first week of February. Yeah, it is great that something that good is coming out this early. And I'm trying to remember. Oh, there are two. Th- that's right. There are two. There are two that you really and I loved think, and there's I one think that I you, quite yeah, quite you, like you didn't review the other one is that correct um no i did it's oh i missed a shorter it. one oh, yeah it's just it. a shorter one it came okay. out today yeah oh got it it came I, out this morning. you were busy yeah I, I was busy yes. yes i will definitely catch up with that uh so the movies we're talking about the two big ones m night Shyamalan's night uh, night at the cabin that's not correct m night m knock Shyamalan's Night at the Cabin. Is that what it's called? Um, <laughs> it's Knock at the Cabin. <laughs> Thank you. Um, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, based on the book uh, The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay, which I was going to hold up to you right now because I just bought it and I'm reading it, but it is not on the chair next to me like I thought it was. Uh, we are also talking about 80 for Brady, uh, a nice slice of NFL propaganda from... The, para- the, the fine people at Paramount, Paramount Pictures. Uh, and then the movie that I quite liked that I don't know how Mark felt about it because I just gave away the game that I didn't see his review. Oh, I see it now. You also liked it. Didn't love it as much as I did, but definitely liked it. A movie called The Blind Man Who Did Not Want to See Titanic. That is the title of the movie. And I think it plays with that title in very fun ways. And we'll talk about it when we talk about the movie. The other movie that Mark and I both really went nuts for full time, which I think I saw someone on Letterboxd call it uncut gems for like a single mom who's just trying to get to work. And it is riveting. We're talking about a movie that I have to imagine is direct to video, uh, but maybe is getting the perfunctory couple of theaters. It stars Ryan Philippi. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I'm classic at butchering names. Could be something else. Ryan Philippi, it's how I've always pronounced it. Uh, and Kate Bosworth and others star in a film called The Locksmith. We'll talk about that. 
There's a movie called Baby Rudy, starring the star of Ruby. Um, <laughs> what did, I, did I call it Rudy? This, you did. This has been an ongoing joke. <laughs> it has been an ongoing joke, but that was not me purposefully doing that. It's just yeah. the, the joke is I haven't said this title correct once ever. And then I started saying it wrong. Because yeah, and Mark, Mark it. said it wrong in a different way. He called it Baby Ruth. Which I'm pretty sure is a candy bar. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it was very funny. I didn't make the candy bar connection until just now when I said it again. So that's pretty funny. Uh, anyway, Baby Ruth. Also Babe Ruth, of course. Baby Ruth. <laughs> God, what did I say? <laughs> I swear to God. The candy bar. <laughs> I swear to God. I am not doing this on purpose. Okay. Baby <sighs> Ruby. <laughs> it is a movie. I swear to you. It is out in theaters or at least a couple vod i believe it is a pregnancy horror film question mark or drama we'll talk about it it stars i was trying to get out before we devolved into the title nonsense it stars the star of the critically acclaimed french film portrait of a lady on fire she is also lydia tar's assistant or something in tar She's, uh, she's in there. Yeah, she's in. Yeah, tar. she's in Tar. I forget her name. Her name is very French and hard to pronounce. It's like Naomi something, but it's probably pronounced Naomi. So I'm not going to even try to say what it is. But that's Baby Ruby. And the last movie is called Who Invited Charlie? But it may as well be called You, Me, and Pally because it is You, Me, and Dupree with Adam Pally. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. Uh, oh, and there's a COVID twist to that one. So that was a fun little preview of all the movies we're talking about. And now we should probably just get into it. I don't think I've said the date. It's Friday, February 3rd. These are all the new releases out. Uh, Friday, February 3rd, 2023. And here is... I'm gonna do, this is intent. I was going to do my dumb joke where I said it's M. Nock Shyamalan's Night at the Cabin. But I really stepped on it. But here, here you go anyway. Hi there. Can I talk to you for a little bit? You have to come inside right now. There were four of them. What did we say? You shouldn't make things up when we're talking about... Can you open the door, please? They're breaking in! I got you, baby. I'm not here to hurt you. But you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Wow, what a trailer. Um, I hadn't seen the trailer because, of course, as a horror guy, if you listen to the New Flesh podcast, you will know I never watch trailers for horror movies for sure. Any movie I'm anticipating, if there's like a new, you know, Ari Aster movie, for example, like that's not a horror movie, but I have not watched the trailer for Bo is Afraid because I'm going to see that movie and I don't need to know what it's about. So I haven't watched the trailer for Knock at the Cabin until just now. And, you know, I saw the movie and it was a great movie to watch without knowing anything about it. It was uh, thrilling. It's a thriller that is actually thrilling, I would say. It is it's tough to talk about in terms of a horror movie. It's definitely more of like 
a thriller, apocalyptic thriller, and very much in conversation with another M. Night Shyamalan film, I would say. I would say this is like a, I think even I saw him say in an interview, it's like, this movie is a cousin to Signs in that it's like a movie about faith in light of some sort of supernatural or crazy phenomenon. Anyway, I'm rambling. Mark, what is M. Night Shyamalan's Knock of the Cabin based on the book Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay? Um, yeah, it is really, really effective thriller for me. Um, just two, uh, two men. They're married. They have a kid that they adopted. They're in a cabin in the woods. Suddenly, Dave Bautista comes, you know, very politely walking through the woods at the little girl sitting there. And he has this really, really unsettling conversation because what I have to say is I have appreciated Dave Bautista as an actor for a while now. Yes. He's just really good in a completely unexpected way for like a professional wrestler turned to acting. Like a lot of them go to comedy. Uh, a lot of them go to action. Obviously he's done both, but he's really, really good at doing these very small, very unanticipated dramatic roles that you really don't think because he is just like this Hulk of a man and he comes out and he talks so gently to this little girl and you start to think like this situation is completely wrong this should not be happening this guy should not be talking to this girl but you buy every moment of it like you're like maybe he is like genuinely okay and that's just the start this is before all of everything else starts so just having that tone set up with Batista's performance his performance is so key to how this movie unfolds because it really is about like, should we believe these people who have come into this cabin and say the world's going to end unless one member of this family is sacrificed to prevent that from happening? Or is it all a crock? And right. obviously those are the only two options we're presented with. I don't want to talk about anything else really in terms no. of like the logistics of how it unfolds, what kind of evidence is presented or what evidence isn't presented. Yes. Anything like that. And I kind of just want to talk about how it does work as a thriller. Um, and I don't know how much you want to get into plot either, but I don't, is, I don't think we need to get into plot to talk about how I think you're right. It's like this crackerjack thriller that operates as like this home invasion thing but it's a home invasion, the likes of which you've never seen because Dave Batista is so polite <laughs> and they're very like, this is just how it's going to happen. And then the way, you know, they don't end up doing harm to these people. They want them to do harm to themselves, but they're not going to harm them. So like, there's like a different level of threat that you're used to. And it's very uncomfortable. And like a lot of people find this movie to be like miserable, just like you're wallowing in all this misery the whole time. And I totally get that reaction. Because this is a movie about, I mean, the title of the book says it better, I, honestly. I have to say it's a better title. It's The Cabin at the End of the World. It's a movie about an apocalypse or apocalypse-style event happening or not happening and what that means. But really, in addition to being this thriller and home invasion thing about the apocalypse, it's this... Real, like you can read it in so many ways, I'm sure, but like it's basically like a parable. It's like a Bible story in a way. And like there's definitely like and you know modern time allegory going on we're like the thing i thought of when watching this movie the first thing that came to mind is like this is a movie about like the futility of living in a world that is ostensibly ending like what what do people who really fear climate change think like they would say that like the world is in a slow motion apocalyptic event right like we are 
we are in we are experiencing the end of the world so this movie is kind of like literalizing that idea and like asking um what it would like what what is what are we to do in the face of the end of the world if you turn on the tv which this movie really nails like this type of thing like if you turn on the tv right now you could find justifiable evidence right to say that the world is ending like a plane crashed the other day and like that happens more frequently lately or whatever uh but more weather events right like the ice caps are melting this uh it's raining all the time in california it's it's hot in uh, Chicago or, or it's hot in New York when it shouldn't be, whatever it is, climate change, things that are actually happening. And it just like all I could think about was like it made me think of uh, my favorite movie about these type of existential questions. Uh, Paul Schrader's First Reformed, where that movie is all about a crisis of faith because of per- like and, and the parallel narrative with Amanda Seyfried, I believe it is in that movie and her boyfriend is all about. Isn't it like how he doesn't want to bring a kid into this world? Yeah, it's something along those lines. Yeah, yeah he like, becomes distraught by the situation and yeah. Overwhelmed by like the sheer number of like natural disasters happening all the time. And that's all like that's all I was thinking of during this movie. Not because not not to say I'm thinking of another movie during that movie. I'm just saying night knock at the cabin gave me that same like dread in the pit of my stomach where it made me feel like the characters are feeling, where I'm like, fuck. I have to now sit here in this theater and think about how I'm sitting here watching this movie about the end of the world while the end of the world maybe is going on around me. And the movie really is clever about how it deals with all that thing, all that stuff. And I think it is aware of what I'm talking about. I don't think I'm projecting that onto it. Do you agree? I don't think you're projecting that onto it. I think it is very much trying to be an allegory or a parable. And I don't think it succeeds in that regard as well as it does as a thriller from where I'm standing. I don't see that as much because there are. Have you oh, seen? I'll, see I'll now just, it gets well, now it gets now it gets tough to talk about because when we do occasionally cut away to some event happening somewhere, a flashback. Else, sure, it is well not just the flashbacks, but just also the TV. Oh, the stuff sure. on the TV. Yeah, is not where we're at right now. It is it. Some of the stuff that we see on the TV is so like far uh, beyond over the top. Yeah, so yeah. like so Hollywood blockbuster type events. Yes. That it didn't quite register with me. Like when you see that kind of imagery, you you are thinking like, oh my, yeah, well, you know, yeah, but is, I can't. There's see, something to this. I can't see, for example, let's say a plane falling out of the sky without thinking of 9/11 and like things that have actually happened. So like for me, when it cuts to news footage like that, it did read as like it's making those parallels for sure. But I agree, mm-hmm. it oh, is no, no, like yeah. it is yeah. going well beyond to be like establishing in the world of the movie. That like, yes, maybe there are apocalyptic events going on, but that's the beauty of the movie is they toy with it and don't really reveal maybe one way or the other. We don't want to spoil, but yeah, like, I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't want but to. But I mean, there is there is there is a, there is a solution here and people have a problem with it. There are a huge swath of people who I would say are misreading this movie. Um, there's like swath of people who are calling this like conservative and reactionary, which mm-hmm. I think there's a people don't know how to talk about a religious movie or a movie about faith divorced from the idea of like conservative faith-based films. And yeah, I think they're two completely yeah. separate ideas. Yeah. This is definitely not in the vein of a, a left behind. Like, movie a, or like a God's like not dead was, or yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. There is no, there's no talk about specific religion, especially Christianity. There's no talk about that at all. It's just 
it's just like they, they have this belief that from visions that have just come from out of nowhere, from out of the ether. There's no mention to any kind of higher power or anything. It's just these visions have just come to these this four these four people that Batista's leading to the cabin. And that's it. Um I think it's I think it's I my my issue with the ending and not the ending, but just where the ending goes is that it really needs to you really need to feel the extent of this relationship of the, the couple in the cabin and with yeah. the daughter. And I didn't buy that as much because it's all told as you just brought up through flashbacks and those yeah. flashbacks aren't as impactful as what's happening inside of the cabin, because what's happening inside the cabin is so tense and so suspenseful yeah. that these occasional, you know, moments of reprieve where you're just learning about this relationship as nice as it is, as sweet as it is, as well as, um, uh, Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge play those two characters. They're really good here too. I didn't feel that relationship as much as I felt the claustrophobia of being trapped in this situation and the, uh, the ingenuity of how it's this one location thing, but it sets up these various events that are going to happen within the cabin. Like there's a schedule for these four and they right. have to do something at a certain time. And if they don't do it, then they're going to be ruined. I felt all of that stuff more than I felt the relationship. And I think for that ending to work, you have to feel how strong that relationship is. Oh, and yeah. how distinct those two, those two characters, they have a very distinct worldview. And I didn't, I didn't feel that as much. And that's why it doesn't work for me as well as an allegory and why the ending kind of, it, it doesn't muddle just, it, it, you, it kind of muddles it for you a it does for me it did it, it just you know, muddles the ending a little bit a, maybe this is something i should say for the new flesh podcast discussion which will be very long and comes out on monday but like i think it's an interesting question to be like does this movie have a point of view or is it agnostic to those ideas it's presenting like does this movie Believe, you know, I don't know. I, we shouldn't spoil it, so we shouldn't talk about yeah, that. We should, but yeah. <laughs> um, it would be a good. I mean, this is definitely something g- talking about in yeah, depth where yeah. it goes and how it gets there and so, what that is supposed to mean. That, yeah. I mean, that's totally a conversation worth having on a yeah. spoilery yeah. podcast. So which we, this isn't. We so. will do that on the New Flesh podcast on Monday. But bef- I don't want to end here. I, there's so much to talk about we haven't even touched on. So a, yes, I've touched upon that it's a movie about you know have about having kids at the end of the world type of shit and how that you might like how inherently it's like tragic to be trying to navigate being a parent in this type of landscape right but it's also about i love the like it's kind of maybe cheesy or something and i'm sure the book really pulls it off maybe in a way that the movie i don't think it's cheesy i just think people would accuse it maybe of being cheesy but it's about how the end of the world in this case like you could just do it on like a pure like metaphor level, this is a movie about like how your loved ones are your entire world, right? And like what happens when you lose, if or you're faced with the choice of potentially losing, the, you know, the person who would be, it would be the end of the world if you lost that person. And I love how it works on that level. And that's how, so basically, I understand what you're saying. And I agree, that's where most people will land on it. But like, there's, I'm Mike Shyamalan. I saw someone call him. It's I had to steal his phrase. I think it was my friend Aaron Shanley said this. He said M. Night Shyamalan is the cilantro of genre filmmakers in that the people who love him love him. They have a taste for it. And the people who don't like can't fucking stand it. And like they they like literally it would ruin the meal if you put even a smidge of M. Night Shyamalan on it. <laughs> and I think 
you know, I'm one of those people who likes him for the most part. There's definitely movies I don't like of his. But if you're in the tank for like just an earnest M. Night Shyamalan picture, like you will fall for all those things, like all those character stuff. I definitely did buy that relationship between the, the two dads, Daddy Andrew, I believe it is, and Daddy Eric or something. Um, I totally bought the relationship. And you're right. The movie completely relies on it because it's all about, you know, I think it was Charles Bromesco. I keep naming people because I had so many conversations about this movie already. But Bromesco is like, it reminds me of Interstellar where you're like, the only thing stronger than the universe, that's love. <laughs> and like, that is what this movie ultimately ends on. And like, it's like, when I said it's M. Night Shyamalan's first reformed, it's probably my most viral tweet in ages. It's got like 500,000 views on it or something. And like, when I said it's M. Night's first reformed, I really just meant, you know, it's this movie about facing the the, futi- the futility of you know raising children and living in the face of modern horrors and calamities right but like a lot of people took it to mean when i said i tweeted m night Shyamalan's first reformed is my was basically my review of this movie people took it to mean like i don't know what they took it to mean like a return to form for him because that's what first reform was for paul schrader or something but like people were putting all their weight onto it but like i think that comparison totally tracks but like M. Knight's take on that material is earnest and hopeful, right? Where Paul Schrader's, I would say it's also earnest, but it ends up being like tragic in a different way. And like, I just think like, I do stand by that statement. I just wanted to say that because it's been something I've been dealing with in my mentions all weekend. I think it's a totally fair comparison. Anyway, this movie's barely 95 minutes and we haven't talked about how well directed it is. And I don't know. There's definitely people, again, agnostic. There's, there's like the cilantro thing. People think he's a good filmmaker. People think he's really a bad filmmaker. The the where Would you say, like, you haven't seen a movie? I don't I still want to oversell it, but I just love the way he, where he puts the camera always. Like, the camera's always in an interesting place. The way he frames Batista and Wen in the opening scenes with, like, the, the canted angles or the Dutch angles, whatever you want to call those, and the zooms and when when ron weasley's getting his ass beat the camera's on him like a gopro for a second like it's just visually inventive language and it's all like i'm watching m night for the past 20 whatever years i'm watching him create his own visual language and i think he fully has established it and i think this movie is a great example that he's an incredible visual stylist a great director and a specifically like camera to help tell the story type of director what do you how do you react to that i yeah i mean there's never this never feels dull considering the fact that it is a a lot of times it is not just one location but one setup where you have the four or fewer people in standing in front of the two the two husbands and the child tied to a chair and standing there there so many scenes in this movie are just that basic setup with the, the yeah. one group facing the other group and that's it. But it never feels that way because yeah, Shyamalan's good at just figuring out where to put the camera. He's fantastic at rhythm and pacing and making sure that those cuts are precise for building up suspense. Yeah. There are like long pauses that I recall. Like I, it's hard to tell because you just get caught up in the action or the lack of action, the build up to some kind of action. That's where he's always been great and it's it is you know having this um enclosed location really amplifies how good he is at doing that and yeah i mean as a formalist he's he's 
pretty solid. I mean, he knows he knows exactly where to put the camera and how to how to frame people. It sounds like, like those, it sounds like such faint like damning with faint praise to say oh like, no 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 to put the camera but i mean it like su- in such like a revel like yes finally a fucking it's director who knows it, where to put the camera yeah what i mean is like when you're talking like i said when you have just these back and forth scenes between two characters knowing where to put the camera is vitally important because yeah. otherwise you would notice like oh my god this is just two people talking for like five minutes but you never feel that way you never feel like you're just watching something that is just this conversation unfolding back and forth it feels alive and it feels vital and it feels suspenseful and that's the whole point at least for where i'm sitting the whole point is that i want to feel um like i don't know what's going to come next yep. from a conversation between a group of people um I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's not damning with faint praise. It's just saying, no. yeah, he knows exactly yeah. what what he's doing and how to do it. And I the fact that he knows how to yeah. do it in this smallest space yeah. is impressive. Exactly. I was just trying to make it very clear that we're, yes. we're heaping praise upon his style. Um, yeah, I really like this movie. And you're right. It stands on its own as like a thrilling horror thriller type thing. And, you know, I wish we could talk about the ending. We'll talk about that on the new flesh. And I don't think the ending is a cop out in any way. I think it follows through on the premise the only way it can. I know what change it makes from the book, and I understand why they made it because it's very uncommercial. Let's say that if you read about what happens in the book, um, but they keep the spirit of the ending the same. I totally think there's so many weird misreadings out there about this being a conservative movie punishing its characters, and no, I just don't. I just reject that wholeheartedly. You know. M. Knight has faith in humanity, I think. And and I, I think that comes through, even in a movie as dark as this. Oh, one other thing we haven't mentioned. It's R-rated, and you'd never know it, right? It's It does not um, linger on the gore in the way you'd think it would because it's specifically R-rated. Because it's so tame that I'm like, well, it has to use the R rating, right? And it doesn't. It's one of those R's that's just like... This movie's intense in terms of like theme and stuff, so it's probably they didn't even fight it if it was an R. Maybe they wanted to give it an R for the prestige. I don't even know. Um, M. Knight's not really an R guy. He did, um, what was it called? Split. Split's definitely yeah. an R, and that was like a aberration for him. And all the other movies really are pretty tame. And I think this movie, you know, I normally would be like, "Boo!" There's no gore in this movie, but it doesn't need it, right? It's super effective, but. In an R-rated movie, it's still kind of smarts for me when like these brutal kills with these brutal weapons and it just cuts away. It's like, why why'd you make it R that? But uh that's the new flesh side of me coming out. Um I've just wanted to talk about this movie a lot. Sorry to make it hopefully this episode's not super lopsided all talking about this, but there's a lot to talk about, and that's why I'm bumping it. I'm giving it the I'm giving it three cabin in the woods is three and a, sorry three and a half cabin in the woods is <laughs> i was gonna say i would be i would have been shocked if it was any lower than that so yeah, yeah. i'm giving it a a solid three cabins yeah <laughs> and you know what we haven't even talked about like the setting the cabin in the woods being like a universal horror horror symbol and like the way that the movie uses that i just think it's so clever and like a lot of it has to do with the writing and the book and i'm sure i'm gonna love the book and a lot of praise goes to paul tremblay too but m night definitely it feels like an m night movie to me like it very much is m night in all the right ways and it is so earnestly um just so earnest about um humanity and stuff i just i i really love it i think it's one of his best i think it's a great movie i think it's a great adaptation 
I guess I'll, I'll comment back later if it's a great adaptation. Um, three and a half, Cabin in the Woods is three for Mark. We must move on. Let's move on to a movie that we will not be celebrating as highly. Um, let's talk about 80 for Brady. Game's about to start. Yes, Tom. Oh, oh, what a beautiful man. I like Gronkowski. We know, Chris. We've all read your Gronk erotica. It's not erotica. It's fan fiction. Very sexy fan fiction. Aren't you tired of the same old boring lives? Let's go to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is no place for four old women. This could be Tom's last one. He's almost 40. That's like 80 in people years. Yeah, we're 80 in people years. I just really need this trip. I can't believe we're actually here. Taking this one. He's cute. I, there's something to, if you watch a studio comedy from like the 90s, like, oh, perfect example, House Party. That movie, House Party from, is it the late 80s or like 91? I think it's 91. It's or early 90s. 90. Yeah. It might even be 90. But House Party was shot by David Lynch's cinematographer. <laughs> like, that movie has a visual style and a look and a sensibility. And that's such a weird knock on this movie. But there's something to the like, what is it? Just what do you call that? Like lighting for coverage, just like basic yeah. sitcom lighting there's no there's no cinematic quality at all even attempted in these type of movies now like every studio comedy or even like the indie ones like mac and rita or something like those movies just don't they look more like tv sitcoms or streaming shows than they do movies and do you know what i'm talking about that like i know quality? exactly what you're talking about yeah it is it's just lighting to ensure that everyone and everything is lit and that's it because you don't care about how it looks you just want everything to show up on the camera and that's yeah that's which is which you know what weird criticism for this movie but there's so little else to fucking talk about that i had to bring it up but yeah uh go ahead yeah no i mean yeah no you're right i mean what do you talk about what do you talk about with this it's i it (laughs) for me it's hard for me to dislike it but it's harder for me to like it oh yeah i'm right there with you i i love this cast like this cast Obviously, you know, 20 years ago would have been a huge deal. I still think it's a huge deal to have Rita Moreno, Sally Field, Jane Fonda, and Lily Tomlin on screen together. I think that's a big deal. Um, I think they're all having fun. I think it starts off. So obviously the premise is the four women are all fans of the New England Patriots, Tom Brady in particular. And they're going to the Super Bowl again. And Lily Tomlin's character wants to go to the Super Bowl because she's having some health issues. That's, that's about it. And uh, they all go to the Super Bowl. And then they have some wacky high, adventures along the way. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know what? It's it's about these four women. It actually does give them like some personalities. They're having The actors are having fun with it. It is kind of about how they interact. And I'm kind of getting involved in it and to as much as I can. And then they all kind of go to this big party and they accidentally eat some uh, marijuana edibles. I'm like, Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, Mac and Rita had that scene too. I'm glad I brought it up. Every single movie, especially ones with older people have the scene where somebody, whoops, we accidentally ate something that we weren't supposed to. And now we're going to get high. Yeah. They treat marijuana gummies like it's acid or something where it makes everything look completely crazy, just completely nonsense. But you know, again, comedy, who cares? I get it. It's kind of, yeah, exactly. That's lazy at this point. So that's why I'm annoyed with it. Yeah. 
It is. Yeah, it's wholly lazy. And there are so many setups here after that that just start to feel like that. There's the scene where the four older women, oh, no, they have to dance to convince somebody of something. Like, isn't that wacky and crazy? Like, I don't care about that. I want to see these four actors talking to each other about stuff, even if it is Sally Field mistaking a fanny pack and calling it a strap on, which is really funny. That's funny. That's something that would happen. I I will say. I, that joke did not land or even register with its intended audience of you know six or seven elderly people at a three p.m. screening, which I which is and how I, I saw say, this movie. Yeah, and what I'm going to say is that's why it's funny. I understand <laughs> because all that those is, people like, would accidentally call it that. Yes, exactly. And like that joke works because it's like you know Shrek has jokes for adults in it, and like this is like. In a movie for elderly people, that's a joke for the 30-year-olds in it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, like I this appreciated the... that joke. I understand I, I I referenced that joke too. Um that's but that's the joke for people who are coming to see if Tom Brady is at the time is gonna give any sign what his career is gonna look like. Yeah, so there's I, some like definite unintentional so laughter in the audience at the end of the movie when it has to be like, well, he's going on to the next chapter of his career. Uh, everyone in the audience was like, Oh, brother. <laughs> um anyway. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I have a hard time, like, really hating on it for those reasons. Like, yes, all these women are in it, and they're together, and they're having a fine time. But at the same time, isn't it frustrating how this movie does not really want them to have that much interaction together or that much hijinks? I feel like every hijink, hijink, singular, every hijink comes from like guy fieri being there and i also i just pronounced it incorrectly the normal normal american way because this movie makes a great they never mention like the pronunciation but it's fucking noticeable how everyone was told this is how you pronounce it and everyone says it like the weird like guy fieri (laughs) like they all say it in that weird way and it is so distracting i was just disappointed by the the classic like cameo driven lazy humor that is not that amusing. And I was amused by the actual premise of the movie and how, I don't want to spoil it, how they work in the... I, don't want, I mean, can you spoil it? You know what? I would argue you can't. Like, no, I you mean, can't spoil the joy of watching the movie if you do enjoy it. But it kind of ruins a funny joke, if I were to say it. But, like, the setup for how these characters maybe interact with Brady or, like, influence Brady during a specific time in the past like that joke like that through line is like almost enough if the movie were slightly better for me to be like it's fine it's like cute it's clever and funny but like i want to say it's harmless but like is nfl propaganda harmless like i feel like it's bad ultimately uh to just be like isn't it fun and great when we all know how horrible this organization is that's neither here nor there as a movie i was let down in turn, I didn't laugh very often. I, that's my issue. I'm in the comp. Yeah, no, I mean, I laugh yeah. not a lot. It didn't happen. It happened infrequently rather than frequently. What would you say about the yeah, laugh? I I smiled quite a bit like early on because yeah, it's it's fun to watch these actors together. Some of the jokes are pretty funny. Um, and then yeah, just and I what I will say, I will spoil something a little bit. Brady's bad as an actor. Oh yeah, one thing. Yeah. I mean, and I the feel like the problem with that, the if way it were they, just the cameo, yeah, if it were just the cameo, I would, I'd be on board with it because 
there's like flashes of the real Brady showing up among archival footage and stuff. And like, okay, yeah. that's fine. But they really I put they a used, big weighty yeah. emotional scene on him and it does not work at all. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a bummer. That's where it like definitely falls. But like, if you're like a Brady fan or a Patriot fan, you know, they're definitely like, it's a movie for those people. It's like sponsored content, not just for the NFL, but for Tom Brady and the fans. Who's like, the mo- you know, he's the most, winningest player in the history of the game or whatever like i get who this is for and i understand it's not for me but i appreciate like i would tell my mom to go see this like i think she would have a good enough time even though she doesn't give a shit about football and like the third act is like you're gonna watch this football game you're gonna watch a lot of football <laughs> you're gonna- and that's another problem i think that's the big thing that whole that whole sequence should be really funny because it should be them running around and trying to figure out something and doing all this stuff and scheming to do all this stuff and i said there really is just like there's like half of it is football footage from a game we so, already know about yeah i don't want to ruin the joke again like earlier i referenced yeah. it but like if they were to do what they do in a more active way like so you're not just watching the football game. So they're exactly. actually, yes. So they're actually, yeah. m- you see every step of it rather than like an inspiring speech or whatever. Um, there's definitely ways to for this to be like, I don't know. It's a couple script punch-ups away from being like pretty funny and okay. And it just feels like, like it's not bad, but it definitely feels like a missed opportunity still. Once you have all these people together and the movie just is kind of, it just again, it's I think it all comes down to how ugly it looks at the start. Just like I can't stand looking at these ugly movies that look like sitcoms. So you have to really overcome that for me to be like, yeah, it's still fine. But now you combine that with the movie that's just okay and like it's hard to get excited about. It's definitely like a two point conversion out of four. <laughs> is that, is that, I mean, is that good? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Safety. But you're you're the team. That, yeah, uh, was on it's a defense. safety. Yeah, it's a safety. Wait, no, you're the team that was on offense at the time. Yeah, you got thank you. safety's <laughs> against you. Yes, there yeah. we go. You have to word that properly, otherwise it does sound positive, like a two point conversion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Two, two stars. Two stars for eighty for Brady, which really fudges the title too. There's like two eighty year olds, a ninety year old, and a seventy year old or seventy something, and it's just eighty for Brady. Whatever. It's not the most well thought out uh, film in the world. And yeah, every Patriots cameo is more like degrading and embarrassing than the last. Like when Gronk speaks, you're and, like, except I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue the other Patriots are funnier. Oh, I mean, they're funnier, but like, serious. It's, it's, I don't know. Edelman gets a laugh just from being there, I feel like. And then Gronk. Gronk is just inherently funny. Gronk is he, funny because he's an idiot and like, him talking, I'm just he, like, look at this it. fucking loaf. Yeah, uh, <laughs> big lug. He knows it. He accepts it. It's he funny. does. It's a good bit. It's, it's a, good a good bit. bit. Anyway, this director wrote, produced, and starred in a really good indie called The Climb. So I wanted to just say that. Now, what is going on there? Because, I mean, it was directed by his co-writer, obviously, when you watch this. Because, man, The Climb has a great sense of visual language and a great sense of where to put the You think he could have called on his buddy to help him out with that, right? You would hope so, maybe. But, you know, maybe. I mean, I think it's, la- like, no. it's not. I don't want to say laziness on the part of the production or the cast or the crew, but kind of, right? It's kind of like, who cares? Jane Fonda and Rita Moreno are all here. They're all just like, they don't want to. You know how much longer the the shoot would take if they had to like light every scene. <laughs> Instead, they just fucking throw the camera on and like let the Walgreens department store lighting uh, light the entire fucking movie. So that's my weird gripe with 
studio comedies right now, it's not just this movie. It's all of them. And like, I expect it. And for example, what's a shitty movie we watched at home that has a huge cast? The Estate, for example. A movie like that, I expect to look like that because it's straight to video, presumably. It's made cheaply. It's an indie production. It's one of those things where you don't understand how the cast is in it. <laughs> like, I like that is those movies should look that way. A movie of this caliber that's playing wide in theaters, shoot the fucking movie like a movie. Sorry, that's my soapbox. Um, let's talk. Speak. Oh, this is a perfect transition into cinephile talk with um, the blind man who did not want to see Titanic. Mä vaan juoksen tälle paikasta A-paikkaa. Onks sä päässyt jo liikkeelle? Rollaattorilla mä täällä kolistelen. Ehditäänköhän me näkee ennen kuin kuolee. Mulla on suunnitelma. Mä tuun sun luo. Mä tosissa? Mä en oo koskaan ollut näin tosissa. I feel like I haven't seen a movie like this since... I was working at the Evanston movie theater in 2007 when Diving Bell on the Butterfly came out. Do you remember that movie? I do. Yeah. That was like a, really a it, one. it was a big deal, right? Like it was or it was mm-hmm. like a Oscar it must have been nominated. Maybe did it win? Best I might have won. I think it might have probably won. won. It probably won cuz like I I my I have a vivid memory of seeing Diving Bell on the Butterfly in the biggest theater we had at the multiplex. Like it didn't play on the arts house side. It played on the 400 seat theater, which must have meant it was nominated for definitely nominated. Probably one. I probably saw it after one or something would be my guess. Anyway, if you don't know what that movie is, it's, it didn't win. It didn't win. I saw but it. You, did I get, saw it got four nominations. Yeah. Yes. It won like four. It got four nominations. I think it was up for. I just was looking at them. It was up for cinematography, obviously. Yes. Um, yeah, it was. It moved past the the um foreign language yeah it's, it's one of those movies those... like like a parasite or a triangle of sadness even or whatever you'd call it where it's like you expect it to get the best internet what is what is, what is now called best international film nomination yeah. but it overperforms and got gets normal normal american movie category nominations um anyway i bring up that movie because this the man the blind man who did not see who did not want to see titanic is so unique in its visual style and its perspective that like, I was just thinking in my mind, have I seen a movie like this before? Like it was so unique. And then I, of course it came flooding back. That movie is very memorable too, because of like, it's a movie where you're inhabiting the perspective of a disabled person. And they're both, you could describe both those movies that way. Um, So in this movie, the main character is a blind man with MS. And in real life, this man who is the actor in the role, he is blind and he has MS, which really like adds so much to the experience for me, really. Um, but I'll ask you to describe it. But this movie delivered, Mark, what I expected and hoped and wanted from the whale and what the whale thinks it's doing. Oh, boy. You know what I mean? Oh, or it's, boy. It's, a, yeah. it's a triumphant portrait of a person's struggle, of a, specifically a disabled person's struggle. That movie definitely considers fatness to be a disability. Um, so like, I think that movie is like totally misguided 
and wrongheaded about how it does all of its all that stuff and doesn't earn the empathy. And I think this movie is totally what that movie should have been. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know where. So, okay. So there are two places we can start. The story is basically, yes, this man who is blind has MS paralyzed from chest down, has use of his arms um, and is just going about his day to day routine and you follow him for a while. So the story is that. Um, you follow him for a while and eventually he comes up with a plan. He's on the phone with his girlfriend that he only has communicated with um, via the phone. And she is ill as well. There's nothing specific, but I think it's she has cancer that's come back Yeah, is the idea. Yes. They want to see each other. They want to visit each other in person. He's like, okay, I'm just going to go out and go do it. That's the plot. That's the plot of the blind man who did not want to see. Titan. Yes. And then through that process, through him leaving the house, like, by himself and trying to navigate the the outside world, you basically get this like, I would say like, a, what is what is the Ebert quote about empathy? Movies are an empathy generating machine. Yeah, a, yep. Yeah. And that that's what this movie does, right? It puts you in this man's perspective and sets him loose on the world. And you have to watch just him basic shit. Like this guy has to take, what is it? Two trains and a taxi to get to where he needs to go. And how that, is a monumental fucking task for someone in this position. And yeah, what were you going to say? Well, I, what I want to say is, you know, we talked about, we've, we've talked about formal style now uh, with every movie that we come up with. This one actually has, we have (laughs) a a strong (laughs) sense of formal style and it is using it for a very uh, clear and specific purpose, which is the camera is almost always in close up on this man's face. We see him very clearly and everything surrounding him is out of focus to one degree or another, depending on how he is perceiving it. And that is what makes it so strong in such an it, empathetic like, gives view. Me goosebumps to think about this movie. I really think it's magnificent. Yeah. Keep it's going. so yeah. well done. And in that way alone, just to like, cause you realize like at first, like you're just seeing his face. So you always are seeing his face. You're always seeing how he's responding. And this actor is really, really good here. He's really charming and funny. And he is just communicates so much just through all this all this that happens. I don't want to give away exactly what happens. No, um, I don't either. But it does take a very big turn. I know you kind of referenced it. But when, as we go through the day, like you start to realize like there are some faces that you can't see at all. Like they they are intentionally kept out of frame because you start to realize like this man has never encountered these people before. He has no clue who this person is. Meanwhile, the nurse who comes every day, you never see her, but you can see her a form of a face. You can yeah. see all of this stuff because he is more familiar. He recognizes her to a certain degree. Yeah. And we, once you click on that, all I'll say is that there is a payoff to all of this where things are somewhat out of focus. Things are, you know, obscured. There's a payoff where the screen goes black, completely black because this is completely new territory. There is no frame of reference for him to understand what's going on. And it is terrifying for like, 30 seconds to a minute of just black on the screen because you're like, he doesn't know what's going on. And therefore we don't know what's going on. And it is just, it's, it's, it's excruciating. We're going to get just the first time I cry time. on camera during the podcast. Like just talking about this movie is gut wrenching for me. Um, I totally agree. Another flourish that I was blown away by is just like the opening credits being read by like that AI like voice, yeah. like it's like a Siri type figure reading the opening credits because that's how a blind person would experience a movie, right? They have to have it 
audio description, I think is what it's called. It's on every Blu-ray feature. You could turn it on if you want to and have the movie described to you. Um, so like another and the specific thing, the specific reason why I I love this movie, and I'm assuming people who love this movie will love this movie, is because it's specifically about a cinephile. And it and that's I think I think the director's genius, whoever, uh, for like tapping into this fear that I think every cinephile probably has, like, you know, everyone gets that, like, would you rather question, would you rather be deaf or blind or whatever? And you have to think it's a horrible thing to say, but we do that shit and people think about it. And as a person who loves movies and as a person who loves going to concerts and loves music, it's a thing I like, it gives, I, I can't answer that question. I hate it. And I think, I think it's specifically because of how much I love movies and stuff and, and, and stuff like that. It's a question I like will never put myself through the thought experiment of actually thinking about what that would be like. And this movie was like my worst nightmare come true. And not to make this horrible, like, like this horrible experience this man faces in his daily life, which is definitely true. And this movie's, you know, a, a fiction film, but it's like, the man who stars in it is not an actor. There's never been anything before. He's a blind man with MS. So presumably this is true to his experience. And like, I, I just really deeply felt that like nightmarish, like, Oh my God, what it would be like for a guy who, whose whole life is movies. This guy, the whole, we're introduced to him talking to his girlfriend in movie references. Uh, he says that he, when he realized he, he, he wasn't always blind. Right. And he says he, when he couldn't tell the difference between Kurt Russell and the Husky in the thing is when he realized he was like finally blind and you know, my sight's already waning, so I don't need to buy Blu-rays anymore. He's got a bunch of VHS and blue uh, DVDs. Those will suffice. Just the specificity of his movie fandom and how deeply real and felt it was like, I don't know if that's really his personality and if those are real movies he likes. It all just felt so deeply felt and so real that if you told me this guy is just a huge John Carpenter fan and like he calls his nurse Annie Wilkes and he calls her Nurse Ratchet and he's just constantly living his life by referencing movies. And I don't know about you, Mark, but I certainly saw myself in this character. And no, not at all. There's no, no way that the two of us could have seen so anything specific, of ourselves. Right? In and it's like there was something recent Oh, you probably didn't see it. It was at Sundance. There's this dumb fucking documentary about Kim's video, the like video store in New York, iconic. I've heard of thing. it, but yeah, I didn't yeah. see it. Yeah. But there's this documentary and it has this problem where like the director, it's a good, it's a good idea on paper. He's trying to say, I'm such a movie fan that I can't live my life without seeing everything as a movie. And totally relatable, totally get it. But the way it manifests in that movie is a, is a fucking stoic narrator literally going, I was angry and it reminded me of 12 angry men. And then they showed, show a clip of 12 angry men. That's the whole movie. It's fucking terrible. But this movie makes it not terrible because it doesn't like show clips from those fucking movies. It manifests like, it's like I, my original review. I wanted to say it's diving bell and the butterfly by way of clerks. Cause it's just people talking about, it's not even people. It's just guy guy talking about, movie references so specific you probably have no idea what he's talking about unless you're a dork and of course i'm a dork so i'm leaning on every word uh i just he, he makes more there's more movie references in this movie than any other movie i feel like i just he's every line of dialogue relates back to a movie even when he's in terrible danger he's talking about movie it, it in relation to movies and we get this thing about the titanic right like 
he has never seen the Titanic, the, the movie Titanic. And he explains it's because, you know, James Cameron made the best action movies ever. Why would he do some expensive calculated turd? And then that movie became a big hit. So out of spite, he never saw it. And I don't know about you, Mark. Do you have friends in your life who act like this about certain movies? Because I certainly fucking do. Yeah. (laughs) So like, I totally just bought, I just, it's one of those, you bought it hook, line and sinker experiences where I'm like, I buy this character. I understand the troubles. And then that makes the whole thing just such a harrowing fucking experience. Because you just are rooting for this guy to get from point A to point B. And it's just the most hard, it's the most harrowing thing on earth. I couldn't imagine a more scary thing. To, especially to go it alone he's going without an assistant because it's just you can't rely on yeah. other people all the time he needs to go by himself and and then you realize in that situation even then even if you're by yourself you do have to rely on the the kindness of strangers if you're a person like this and like that type of shit really hits me like i don't know i see people in new york all the time i try to lend a hand when i see them but you don't realize like some of these, if they don't have, like, hopefully, always, you want to hope they have an assistant on call or whatever it is and, like, the accommodations. But that's not a reality. Like, these people are going to have to step outside on to go get get something and then be, like, in an unfamiliar place and need the kindness of a stranger. And, like, I do think this movie, like, I want to be like, it's about humanity and its kindness. And it's like, no, no, no. Oh, it's definitely not. No. It's definitely not. But like it's about I, humanity and it's it's, it's limits for kindness. Yes, exactly. And I just found it to be astounding. Like I'm there's very little keeping me from giving this five star, uh four out of four. I'm actually, in fact, I will give it four out of four on this show. There you go. But what yeah, I was going to it. say on my on the on letterbox, <laughs> I like four and a half did out of five. And I was like, why did I do that? Like, this is such a good movie. There's something about that second half, maybe I'm just like, it's just uncomfortable. Like, it's not fun. Like, that second half is just like, it's like a, I found it to be very upsetting. And like, I just really wanted him to get out of there. And like, that's a testament to the movie, more uh, if anything. And I shouldn't knock it for it. But like, I don't know what I expected from it. Um, a point A to point B movie. But it does kind of like, hit a point and just kind of linger there for a while. And I do think it ultimately is impactful and, and it makes it work. But I was a little skeptical. Like, oh, is this what the rest of the movie is going to be? Um, but why, why were you not quite as like, <gasps> Oh, I don't about it. Yeah, I can't, I can't, yeah. tell you. I can't tell you. That's one of those things like yeah. about the star rating and all that. It's just like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good. And I don't know if I, I mean, just if it was like, going to just be like about the day-to-day yeah. life, but it, I mean, the day-to-day life is setting up that he is clever and resourceful and he can get around and figure out things. Um, up to a point and the movie up until then is getting after that is getting you to that point where it's like, okay, this is the limit, but it's also the limit for like everybody. If any of us found us in this, in this kind of situation, regardless of our, our physical uh, capabilities and capacities, we would be having trouble with this, but to see it, um, I, I, I do, I do appreciate that it is about like trying to knock down and expectations of, you know what we expect of people with handicaps and all of that. Oh, uh, all the shots of him smoking just, weed in his apartment to get some sort of solace, and he hears all the neighbors talking shit about him. Exactly, all oh. the stuff that's like you know, or like oh, this man, fucking man, guy probably is a drunk and like yeah. drank himself into a wheelchair. Like you don't, you yeah. don't know what people are going through or why they are the way they are. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. And so yeah. it's, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely liked it. And I, I think I liked it more on a formal level than I did on a narrative level. If we're just going to, yeah, I think I'm just going to put it plainly. I think well, that's, that's what fair. it is. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what I, that's kind of the same issue I had. Right. I'm like, I hit a narrative issue. I hit a point where the narrative surprised me in a way that I wasn't happy with, I guess, but like, I don't know. I still loved it where it ended and yeah. I appreciate oh, yeah. the, what the meaning of all that stuff was. I just think it was particularly hard to watch. Um, and I'm just maybe I'm just a baby about that. I'm just I don't know why I'm so sensitive to this movie in particular. I really do think it's because of the cinephile stuff and me, the movie just being like, hey, project yourself onto this guy. Why don't you? And I'm like, OK, yeah, I mean, if you're going to watch <laughs> yeah, this movie, yeah. you are going to have some yeah. degree of admiration, love for movies, because otherwise, like, why would you go see this? <laughs> yeah. And have, like, I mean, you know, yeah. the experience of this man dropping his phone is like the most consequential, scariest thing I've seen in a movie in ages. Like, I just can't imagine the horror of being blind, losing the one tool that you need to help you exist. And like, it's like uh, people make fun of what's the movie that just was number one on Sight and Sound, the G.N. Dealman movie, the oh, yeah, Paul yeah, yeah. movie. It's like they make fun of that movie because nothing happens and it's it's exciting when she drops a potato. <laughs> like, that's how I felt about this. I'm like, oh my God, he dropped his phone. Fuck. Um, and it pairs really nicely with this next movie we're going to talk about, which I know you loved. Um, I love probably about as equal level as you. I think we're on the same playing field on this one. But I don't. You, your three um, Titanic VHS copies out of four on this yeah. one. Yeah. And I'm fu- I'm full four out of four Titanic VHS copies. Nice. And you know what? I hope he likes it. I think he will like Titanic. Um, I'm just going to leave that out there. I think if he actually watched it, he would. Uh, he would enjoy it. So. Let's speaking of Titanic, it is being re-released next week in 4K and maybe 3D. I think 3D. I think it's 4K 3D. It's definitely, it's definitely 3D. Um, it's yeah, hilariously not playing at the only real IMAX in the city because I, another James Cameron movie is in there called Avatar 2, still cleaning up. So I have a ticket to see it in fake IMAX, but like the biggest fake IMAX. Uh Maybe we'll review Titanic 3D. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's going to be worth it because I was planning on going and now it's like playing in the smallest theater See, like yeah, available in my and I'm like it's because of Avatar, right? Yeah, so you too. Yeah. You, I thought it was just just us because it should be a, in the yeah. biggest even even 25 years on. It should be in the biggest Sorry, you should that bump you have Avatar available. for a weekend even just to put it yeah. like maybe it'll do it the second week i don't know it does seem like they're botching it but it's all in favor of another james cameron movie making money so whatever um the next movie is oh i gave i say yeah four titanic vhs's out of four um this next movie is also about someone just trying to get from point a to point b a lot of transit uh public transit based transportation based movies today we're talking about full time is this another is this french that last movie we talked about. Yeah, this is French. Fin- yeah. Was Blind Man from Finland? Um, the character said he was from Finland. Or Yeah, I so think it is Finnish. I just couldn't. Yeah. I just don't remember if, if, if it was different. Okay. Uh, Full time trailer now. La circulation vers Paris est interrompue. Nous invitons à utiliser un itinéraire de substitution. Vous allez manifester aujourd'hui bah, J'aimerais bien, mais là j'avoue que je m'intéresse plus aux grèves pour y faire face que pour y participer. Je dois aller tous les jours à Paris. C'est dur ça. On a 7 arrivées, 5 départs, 8 recouches. C'est monsieur Yoshida qui prend la Churchill en fin de journée. J'ai un entretien. Pour un boulot 
Genre, un bon boulot. Un super bon boulot. Tu joues avec le feu, Julie Avec les retards, en plus, ça arrange rien. Vous pouvez trouver une autre solution pour les soirées, ça commence à devenir difficile. Ouh, I'm getting tense just watching that trailer. Uh, Mark, what is full-time and why is it uh, three and a half star worthy? Which is, I feel like, ac very uh, strong accolade for a movie. Very strong review for, from you. I feel like you gotta, you gotta really be great to get beyond a three. Oh, you're muted, sorry. There we go. Full Time is a movie about a single mother uh, named Julie. She's played by Laura Calamy, who's a French actress who um, is just, I just throw it out here. She's fantastic here. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's early in the year, but this is, she's going to be up for, you know, awards contention in my head, at least on my ballot for whatever I'm voting on. Um, and she's just trying to get by. She's going, she lives out in the suburbs of Paris um, because that's the house that she had with her ex-husband and her two kids. Um, now that she's divorced, um, she wants to keep, she got to keep the house. She's very happy about it because the kids get to live there, but now she has to commute to Paris every day. And typically that wouldn't be an issue except that there is a um, uh, public transit worker strike going on. And so now all the trains are less reliable and the buses are less reliable. And eventually all the train service and the bus services stop. And she has to find a way to get from home to Paris. And then within Paris, she has to figure out how to maneuver taking some time off of work at a hotel where she's like the head chambermaid for a job that she is more qualified for because she used to do like research and development or something like that. She did like for PR firms, she did yeah. some. And she wants that job because it would pay more money and it would be easier for her um, and all of that stuff. And she has to figure out how to do all that and get to these interviews while her boss is down her back about some reports she has to do. Yes. There is, and while her kids need tending to. Yes. The kids, the kids are at home yes, with a babysitter. Who's, who, like, it's not a babysitter she's paying. It is like a neighbor who is being kind and she is overextending yeah. that kindness. Yeah. yeah. There is so much going on. I kept I kept thinking to myself, like, this is like a working class uncut gem. So I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought uncut gems because yes. you brought up somebody else said it. And yeah, it is. It's just that level of tension and suspense. The big difference between this and uncut gems, if I'm going to make the comparison, which I did, is that we actually have sympathy for this character. And yeah. so watching it is like you really feel yes. this. A lot of movies don't address this kind of terror, this just terror of being like, if I miss a paycheck, my entire life is going to spiral out of control. Yeah. Yes. So what happens if you miss a paycheck and also your job could, and you're you gambling from your, your job, job entirely. Yeah. 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 You're gambling you're with gambling your job with your to get a better job, but you need to gamble with your other job to get the other job. It's about how inconvenienced the working class is by like the whims of the, the people in power and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, I found it was magnificent too. And you know, I'm a person who switched jobs a lot when I first moved here. So I very much related to like the very specific struggles of like working a job, having an interview somewhere else and having to go there at a very specific time and making sure your work is covered. I just like, you know, another movie where you're like, project yourself into it. Like this is another one where I'm just like, oh, I totally relate to these struggles. Even if my situation is not the same as this woman's, I can totally relate. Um, and yeah, it's like this high wire act of a movie just the whole time you're just like 
oh my god is she gonna make the bus oh my god there is no bus the bus is canceled it's a transit strike and you're just hoping she gets to where she needs to go because so she can make her life better but there's so much so many little things have to go right for her to get the like gold at the end of the fucking rainbow or whatever and it's just a movie about her trying to get there and how hard that actually is in practice and how like there's at one point a threat where she may be like like are you watching your kids maybe you should lose your kids and it's just like god this it's such a high you don't realize how high stakes every bit of this is and yeah i thought it was fantastic it's not it's just a really fun watch i think the score was really good if memory serves i watched a lot of movies this week <laughs> i really liked it um yeah, I love this movie. I don't want to cut it short. If there's more to say, you should say it. I'm yeah, I'm just such a big fan of this because it is so ordinary and but in being ordinary, the fa- it makes it such an intense thriller because you can you can relate to like everything going on um with this woman. No matter what your situation is, you're like, I get this. I get this. I've gone through this in my life or yeah, this is this is exactly what I have to go through every day. I wonder how many people who do go through this will actually watch you watch it? Because like, why would I watch this? It's my life. But maybe just having the acknowledgement of like, it's not just you going through this might be helpful to some degree or another. I don't yeah. know. It is a very specific kind of movie that um, you um, you have to be prepared for the fact that you're just going to be watching the struggles of this woman, this working class single mother, and how it's like a, the utterly Dan terrifying it can be. Yeah. It's like a, a, except yeah. yeah, it's like if the Dardane brothers took like just a little bit of like like a hyperactivity pill or something. Oh yeah, like a little bit like of Ritalin. If, just if a little someone, bit, like yeah. half a Ritalin if pill. Someone <laughs> gave those guys a line of cocaine on accident or something, they would come up. I, with it's time. not that intense, but I mean <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> like Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. A caffeine I mean, pill. <laughs> That's good. It feels that way though. Um I'm trying to think. There's a couple of things I didn't I didn't really talk about in my review, but they're like two different scenes where are two different subplots going on where you think like, Oh, this is like an easy out for this character or something. Um, and the way that it shatters those expectations, because you do start to think like, well, you know, maybe, maybe just to make the money and she should take the job like closer to home and all that. And some characters bring that up. And then when you get to that point where, you know, that scene does come up and you're like, Oh, it's not that easy. There is no simple solution to any of this. And then there's the, potential romance with a guy that you think could be going somewhere because he keeps showing up and helping her get to work. Yeah. And then that gets thrown out the window. Cause you're like, no, that's not how life works. Life yeah. isn't that easy. There's yeah. no, you, pr- yeah. you probably would fuck that up. Wouldn't you? Like that's how the, the movie's just very realistic about life. Yeah. I, I really yeah. loved it. And like, I, you know, yeah. having to rely on public transit does make life a harrowing nail biting thriller. I agree. Yeah. New Yorkers, all New Yorkers should be, would sympathize and love this movie i think um i'm trying to i'm having a hard time not just giving it four um but uh i'll do three and a half delayed trains out of four yeah yeah i'm three and a half too three and a half what <laughs> three delayed trains and half a tow truck or moving truck that you rented just because you need to get home oh yes I love. oh that man detail. that seems that seems so good it is it's a great anyway, movie i think it's, it's really so great good. i don't know how you watch it but you should you should seek it out it's in theaters it's uh limited new york like this week and it's going to expand in coming weeks and then um yeah it'll it'll hit something it's a music box films release so shout out to the music box theater what up southport um all right let's go to the 
the well at least they tried portion of the show <laughs> with three movies in a row that i'm going to go ahead and say i think they're all two and a half stars for me and those are varying degrees of generous um they're all we'll talk about them here's the locksmith with ryan Philippi. Is that in your mind how you pronounce it, by the way? Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. Okay, I think great. it's. I feel like I I've heard. So. Wasn't he was married to Reese Witherspoon or something at one point? I think yeah. They had kids together. And I feel like yeah. I heard on TV someone say it Felipe or something. I'm like, that sounds wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But here's the locksmith. I, the only tweets I get from podcasts are people telling me when I pronounce stuff wrong. So have at it. Let me know. The locksmith. Welcome to the world. We're going to get you back on your feet. I just want to make things right with Beth and Lindsay Frank. Oh my gosh, you're so big. Do you have anything you're really good at? Not really. What about picking locks? Mom told me you were the best. I'm in trouble, Miller. April? The man I work for. He won't let me go, and he's still hurting me. After Kevin died, there was no one there to stop it. I wish I never brought him there that night. I need money to start a new life. Then you'll have made it up to me. A movie full of so many cliches, I would legitimately believe you if you told me that that new AI chat bot or whatever wrote it. It is... I wrote down so many lines. Maybe we can do a reading later. But uh, The Locksmith seems like it's going to be like a guy gets out of prison and does one last job movie. And it kind of is for a bit. And then it becomes more like a noiry femme fatale investigation type of thing uh and yeah that's kind of is what it is but mark what, how would you describe the locksmith i mean can we describe much more of it except to say, <laughs> that, like, that, i mean that it's, was kind of it wasn't it and it's kind of it i mean yeah a guy goes to prison uh oh oh his best friend is is oh. murdered by a corrupt cop we forgot about the crooked cop yeah. you gotta crooked have a crooked cop, cop is established immediately and he kills a guy immediately kills yeah. kills the best friend the brother of the woman who eventually becomes the potential femme fatale. Who knows? I mean, she acts and looks and is dressed like a femme fatale. But who knows? Maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. It's hard to tell. Maybe she's a um, prostitute with a heart of gold. Another one of tropes from these types of could movies. Could be one of those two. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> a lot of this is to say, yeah, it's very, very cliched. But I kind of was into it up to a degree. I, yeah. I don't I know what it was. I think we both came back to each other with when we watched it and said, well, that was perfectly competent. It's... It's like that's like the highest praise you can get. Yeah, <laughs> it's relatively fine. I think that there's a little bit. Yeah. You know, you say you make the joke about the AI stuff, but I did kind of appreciate like Ving Rhames's character. He just kind of like comes out. You know, he's asking like um, he's giving Felipe's character like advice, like how to keep on the straight and narrow after getting out of prison. He's like, how do you know so much? He's just like, I'm just a guy who's done some bad things or something like that. Just something like this throwaway line, like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, this guy has a whole history and he's not going to talk about it. He's just going to, it's just Rames' attitude of playing this part. Like, you know, just being, the, oh God, he's the wise, he's the wise mentor. It's another cliche. He's the wise yeah. mentor who's going to yeah. lead the guy. It's all I cliches. Agree. He it's Ving Rams. He, he elevates it. He's great. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. I think the actors elevate this material. I think there is enough focus on the characters up to a point that it feels as if we're watching a movie about characters. We're just trying to get by and get through all this stuff. It has like this small town feel too, where like the cops and the crooks know each other from like just town. I feel like. Yeah. 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 It's, there's just something, there's just something laid back and relaxed to it. It's just like, you're just watching these characters go through everything. And I, I mean, there's some, 
there's some inconsistencies i think i i think Bosworth's character is like at first she's she introduces herself like remember you met me when i was waiting tables at this diner yeah. and then i had to wait tables extra shifts uh, after you went to prison uh 10 years ago and, like, and so now you she's were like together yeah, a ranked right. detective yeah. in the local police department like i mean yes you could you could make that jump you could yeah make that no jump, it, it feels a little like yeah it feels like the screenwriters weren't <laughs> yeah, it feels like the screenwriters weren't entirely on board with everything here. Like, oh, yeah. we need her to be a waitress when she's, you know, been working hard and doing all this. But also she needs to now be a police detective because there's a plot about the corrupt cop. Yeah, it's just classic corrupt cop stuff where, like, once you're in, you're in, buddy, and you can't get out and stuff like that. It's It, it it's, lost me. It started to lose me, which was a yeah. shame because I was I was kind of enjoying it. And I I. I mean, I haven't seen Ryan Felipe. I've seen him in some things recently. It's a shame that, you know, all the big movie stars from way back, you know, a couple of decades ago, you used to be able to transition into becoming a character actor through like these medium sized Hollywood movies that would come out. And now you have to transition to becoming a character actor, apparently doing these low budget straight to video uh, slash you know showing up in a few theaters i love the country movies i love your website and how it goes back that far because i was like did mark review antitrust in 2001 you sure fucking did i did <laughs> one and a half stars that is the last brian Philippe. like if you if you had to you know if i was on jeopardy or not what's the wrong game show if i was on a game show and they were like name a ryan Felipe movie i would have said that one which is so funny because yeah. it's like not a movie anyone should remember um, no, <laughs> but it's stuck in my craw for some reason. <laughs> he was he was big for a minute though. He was in like he was. I know he did last summer in Cruel Intentions and stuff. Yep. Yeah, he was big. And like I said, there was there was a period in Hollywood when they made movies like this that would yes. come out in big major releases, and they would be you know slightly better quality probably because they weren't written by committee and yeah all this stuff. This or could they be were a, written by this... committee, but the committee knew what yeah. it was doing and it could figure it out. And then Ryan Felipe could have been like, oh, man, we didn't know he had that range. He was just like, you know, the heartthrob in the 90s. And now, oh, he can actually act. Now he can actually act, but it's in this low-budget movie. Direct-to-video, probably-esque experience. Yeah. But yeah, Um, the movie itself, it's it's very okay. Very okay. It feels like it could be, like, it could have been a Gerard Butler vehicle just as easily. Like, it's, or maybe it's not as physical of a role. I don't know. It just feels like you could have plugged in any actor to this, and it's, like, one of those generic-y things. Yeah, I agree with you, though. It's perfectly watchable. And, like, I was surprised at how perfectly watchable it was and how, like, it looks like a movie, unlike 80 for Brady and stuff like that. It's, it looks fine. It's, you know, here's some line of dialogue. She's just a kid. She was never part of the plan. You knew what you were getting into. These are my intense line readings. But those are the only two I wrote down at the very end. Because I was like, man, I should have been writing down every cliche line. I would have taken notes the entire fucking time. But again, it's all in service of a movie that is like just competent enough to get by. You know, it's like, how do I describe this movie? Like a Saturday afternoon on TNT watch. Like, that's what it is. Like, it's totally fine. Two and a half. Um... God, two and a half uh, picked locks out of four. Yeah, yeah, that's where exactly where I'm at with it. And I mean, I can't. Yeah, I can't recommend it. But I mean, it's not. It's not bad. There's it's, nothing. We're bad not recommending it, just, but we're also not saying like don't. Yeah, like don't this, watch it. If you are yeah. interested, you should watch it because yeah, because if like you it. could, 
if you do like the plot, the noir plot that ends up coming up, I think it shortchanges both the character study and the noir plot. But I mean, maybe yeah. if you get if you get involved yeah. in either of those enough or both of them enough, you're like, okay, yeah, this this kind of works. All right, now let's talk about a movie that I think I was a little kinder to than you, but I totally agree with everything you said in your review. I believe it's a directorial debut from Bess Wool. It is called Baby Ruby. To be clear, that is Baby Ruby, not Baby Rudy, not Baby Ruth. It's Baby Rudy, a bad title, I would say, for this movie, because it's not really about that specific baby. You know what I mean? Like, I guess it is, but like, you know, having the, I always hate names as titles anyway, like John Carter, should have been John Carter of Mars, stuff like that. But yeah, bad title. I'm just rambling now. It's like I'm, it's like I'm vamping because I don't have the trailer ready, but I do. So here you go. <laughs> Isn't that a little strange? Drawing your own baby shower? I just need it to be perfect. Nothing's going to be any different. It's just a baby. How big are they even, you know? Ready? Well, this says they like to suck, swaddle, and swing. I don't need some book, Spencer. You get the gist. Uh, my biggest issue with Baby Rudy is that it is the same movie. Ruby. You've... Oh my fucking god! <laughs> it's. Uh, it's only funny because it's genuine every time. It's <laughs> every single time it's it is so casual. I can't in my head it like trips up. It's like I can't. I really have to think about it to say it correctly. Okay, so <laughs> I'm leaving that in. But baby Rudy, the problem with it is. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> At this point, I feel like just I should stop correcting. No, you it, it wasn't. <laughs> I, I I can't even wrap my brain around how it's still happening. Okay, I'll. Fi- um, how about I fill in <laughs> the you. problem with, and then you just cut over to me, and I'll say baby Ruby. Okay. <laughs> the problem with baby Ruby. I literally tried to say it the wrong way again. It almost came out. Um, the problem is every how many horror movies about pregnancy and motherhood are there? Let's say there's 25. Let's just say 25. All 25 are doing the same thing that this movie is doing. Is that your biggest problem with it too? Um, that's a that is a significant issue with it. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> it's weird because I had this I had this review all written and everything. I, I I don't want to talk about a movie we may or may not be covering next week, but there's another movie with a very similar kind of premise coming out next week. Hmm. That somehow works a lot better than this one. And oh, I'm trying now, yes. I'm trying yes. now to figure out what is it about this one compared to that one because I it feels I as fi- if that other you. movie is doing very similar things. And I, I that movie is a horror movie, I would say. Like that that's movie one part of it. Is like it's it's a different genre of movie, I think, and it's doing the same thing. This movie doesn't know baby Ruby does not know if it wants to be a horror movie or like this thoughtful drama about motherhood and how hard it is at first and how everyone deals with it, but you're going to be okay. Like, 
I appreciate yeah. the intent, and I and I think the central performance is so good that it actually elevates this movie. Oh, I would I, otherwise, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that's oh. another problem I have with it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Naomi Merlan, I think she starts off really strongly, like, and then I think she's trying to match the material. That's oh, sure. I think the big yeah. problem I have with it is I think the material goes so over the top of trying to fake us out. Like there are like a couple of things where you think the baby might be dead or about to be eaten or something along those lines. It's like, I get it. You don't, I get it. She's having problems being a mother, a new mother. And it's, it's a natural thing to have those issues. Why are you elevating it to this level where it feels like this over the top horror movie? And I think in Merlot, I think it's the potentially the right instinct to try to match that. The yeah. problem is I think the material lets her performance down because it I doesn't, agree. It, I, I, don't, I don't, I, I guess because I didn't appreciate where the material goes and how high up and how elevated it is yep. to the point where it is melodramatic. And I know it's, yep. I'm using this word specifically because it has a sexist undertone to it. And it, it, this movie does almost get their hysterical quality to it that I think is a bit insulting uh, sure. to a very, a specific kind of problem that isn't yeah. talked about. And this movie does say women don't talk about how difficult it can be to be a new mother. Women don't talk about the negative feelings they have towards their children. It's like, yeah, yes. you should have an open yes. and honest conversation about that stuff. This sure. is not that open and honest conversation. It is a exploitative, manipulative, cheap piece of thrill making. And I didn't like it. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I'm like, I'm leaning more. I mean, I obviously I didn't like it. I made that clear, but like, there's something that makes me want to give it a pass. And what you're saying, I'm realizing why I I'm giving it a pass. It's because it flirts with the good, the good ideas you're talking about, but you're saying it doesn't live up to them. And I, you're right. I, but I saw them in there. Like the idea, you know, the whole, that big scene with the, her mother, I think it is right. Talk or her, is it her mother-in-law? Her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. Yeah. Mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. yeah. Her mother-in-law talking to her about when she gave birth to her son and how she wanted to fucking kill him basically. And like how hard it is. And like, she literally like lays out the thesis of the movie in a nice little exposition piece where she's like, you know, this is something we all, all mothers feel and nobody talks about it. And there's arguments that there's like 25 other movies that I mentioned that talk about it. So maybe, exactly. Yeah. Like maybe that's where it falls flat a little bit too. Cause I'm like, if this was the first movie about pregnancy and motherhood and how being a new parent is full of the horrible anxieties that like can take away your, your, your personhood, you know, like if it was the first one, maybe it would be more impactful, but it's because it's the 15th or 25th or whatever. And it just doesn't do anything different. But like, I was so compelled up top with the realistic portrait portrayal of what I thought was new parent anxiety. And then as soon as it added a spooky horror element, I was like, I was definitely out. I was like, this is not what it should have been. Like, I just want it to be an actual compelling thing. And I said, it's like the baby has teeth now and it's biting me. And it's like very specific, like horrors that I, you're right. It is hysterical. And, um, I don't think you watched this movie because it was completely under the radar. Did you watch the Tubi original film Bed Rest? No, I did not. Well, that stars Melissa Barrera. It was supposed to be an STX release in theaters last year. It got dumped on Tubi, I think, at, at Thanksgiving or something. And that another, it's the exact same movie and the exact same problem where I'm like, this was better before it had horrible horror elements thrown into it. Um, so I would say this is better than Bed Rest, which is like not high praise it's better than a to be original but it 
I, I, yeah, it's definitely. I landed on two stars even before Mark and I talked, and like that's where I'm two baby rubies out of four. Um, but I just appreciate that. Like at the heart, what is this movie trying to do? It's like first time mothers have very little in the way of support from society and there's no outlet for their concerns, but this movie doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be. Like, is it strictly this, uh, you know, realistic drama portrait of this issue? Is it a horror movie? Is it science fiction? Like it just doesn't know what it wants to do. And like all the anxiety, paranoia, um, that she feels about specifically like the other women I thought was really interesting and compelling. Like the idea, cause she's like an influencer. So like, there's this like quality of, like, well, that was, that was, that was a bunch of BS too. She runs like a personal blog and like, apparently that's oh God, this huge all, thing. all the comments rolling in on her. Post. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, she's the most popular person on the planet. She's like, it sounds like 4, she's running like, comments and like, like Cos- seconds. sounds like she's like the editor of Cosmo or something. Way she has like the staff are talking about all the things that she's doing. And then you go to her website. And it's just like, like Dio city blog. Look at my baby. <laughs> yeah. Come on. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but like, I like the idea of, the anxiety of paranoia specifically about posting online. Like some people don't post their kids faces and stuff online. And like, I expected and wanted this movie to like explore that territory. And it just like, again, alluded to a cool idea about being paranoid about other moms and how they compare to them. And it just never did anything with that either. Or in a way it it did horror stuff with it, which I thought was stupid. (laughs) And yeah, it's a two star movie. And I understand why Mark is going to say it's a one and a half. One and a half. Yeah. I'm not, definitely not a fan i stepped on your one and a half but there it is that's okay um no worries it's just motherhood anxiety new parent anxiety is now an entire subgenre that itself transcends genres like they're not just horror movies they're all types of movies and this one just doesn't raise the bar enough to do anything original in that in that space and like becoming a new parent is scary enough right there's no need to add a fucking spooky lady on the baby monitor. <laughs> like, yeah, what is exactly. what does that do? It's it's so frustrating. But I do appreciate the craziest thing I've ever heard in a movie that's so casually said, where it's like, yeah, mothers want to kill their babies. Get over it. <laughs> like, it's just like glossed over. And like, I understand the point that they're making, like the extreme of it. But it is just like it's not handled. This material isn't handled with the reverence it deserves. Maybe. Um, yeah. So not great. But another not great and well-meaning movie, I think the next movie we're talking about, which I got like a last minute invite to a screening with the cast and crew. And I was like, I can't make it, but I'll take a screener. And they gave it to me. And now Mark watched it, too. I feel like I'm positively influencing MarkReviewsMovies.com. I got another I got another fucking thing in the docket on there for you. I don't yeah, know if it was, was worth your pass time. On this. Yeah. I was going to pass on this. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see where yeah. I fall. Arguably it, I worth our now. time or not. We'll we'll get into it. I think we both must like it. I mean, I know who Adam Pally is. I don't assume anyone does because it's like, to me, he's like a podcast name. He's like a comedy name, but not like a comedy whose stand-up you would have seen. He's like a comedian who's just in a lot of sitcoms and movies. But it's an Adam Pally comedy. It's COVID-centric. It's What About Bob? It's You, Me, and Dupree. Uh, here is a trailer for Who Invited Charlie, starring the aforementioned Adam Pally, Jordana Brewster, and what's that guy's name? Reed Scott. He's in a lot of stuff, but I can't tell you any of them. Yeah, Reed Scott. He must be uh, like on a, 
There you go. Big TV show. That was what I was going to say. He must be on a big TV show. Um, all right. Who invited Charlie? Trailer. All they're saying is keep some space. Wash your hands. Okay. Some are saying masks work. Others are saying they don't. Whoa. No, oh, you got it. We got it. Yep, we're good. We'll take the next one. Is he not going in? He has the separation anxiety. Adrian told us. $500 an hour for that golden nugget? Really? I'm afraid to film. It's trying. Charlie? Jesus, what are you doing here? So, if you weren't watching that trailer on the computer and you were listening to this on your phone, hello. We're in your ears. Isn't this weird? Um, no, the trailer sets up the premise pretty well, actually, right? It's, what is it? March 2020 was the, the title card up top. And it's basically the premise is New York family moves, goes to the, goes upstate at the beginning of COVID to get away from the craziness of the city. And then crazy old friend Adam Pally shows up to throw a wrench in things. Classic formula. Another movie that's been done a million times. Why is this? almost okay <laughs> that's a great question um yeah it is almost okay um i yeah i mean i'm getting kind of tired of covid movies once again its own genre um but yeah it's all about you know people well, the, the going out of dealing business, with things the going out of business sale for covid movies ended last month and nobody told them so they threw it out yeah i know everybody february it's so weird because everybody either was making them or writing them in the middle of covid or yeah. right after kind of started calming down and so now they all obviously they're all going to get released now so it seems like there's like one coming out every other week or something and this is this other week's one but what i what i appreciated about it is it is just trying to be like a comedy like a situational comedy with you know characters who are very identifiable i i we both i think really like pally in this he's really funny he's yes he he has the generic you know, slacker stoner who has full of, you know, untapped wisdom and that gets to get tapped by this family who is going through problems. And I like that COVID is entirely in the background and it is more about these relationships and what's going on with them. Like the teenage son just wants to be a little bit more popular because he has um, social anxiety and separation anxiety from his parents and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, that's a good, that's a good little situation to have. The wife is, you know, loves the husband and you know, the husband is obviously feeling distant and like, maybe it's something to do with, you know, how, how she's been treating him or reacting to him. And obviously the husband's a cad who needs to learn that he's a jerk and figure out that he shouldn't be cheating on his wife and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's very fine. Um, oh, it's so formulaic, but like, it's almost charming still. And like, I can't it really, is. It, I think it's because Adam Pally goes a long way if you like him. I feel like if you don't, you're going to find this insufferable. But if you think he's charming, it's a, it's fairly charming. Yeah, and I found him to be charming in this role and in this performance. And yeah, it does. He carries it a long way. I I think the big my big issue with it first off, um, yeah, it is very sitcommy. There are so many there are so many establishing shots. They establish the hell out of this house of the Hamptons. <laughs> they really do. It's. I wrote down drone shots because there are so many and it's so distracting. It's like, it's just like classic, like director has a new toy. Let's play with yeah. it. And it's just like insane establishing shots. So it's like Michael Bay uh, in ambulance <laughs> for a minute. Every, yeah. every, every transition. They, yeah. 
that had a reason, but this is just seriously like the sitcom scene is over. Now we have to show you, Hey, look, time has passed. We're at this location now. Like we know we're at the house. We're at the house this entire yeah, time. We haven't left the house. And like, maybe that's a joke in itself, like establishing shot, but we haven't left the house. So they keep doing it with different drone shots. But like, I don't know. It just, yeah. instead of being like a funny thing, it just comes off as like weirdly polished and wrong for the type of movie that it is or something. It's just like, this doesn't yeah. fit. This looks wrong. It doesn't fit. There's something yeah. very, there's something very off about the screenplay too. And I don't know what it is. It's, it, it starts to seem like it's going in one direction. Like it, like the whole, I mean, I mean, I, I don't even want to get into the contrivance of how <laughs> Pally and Scott's character re reunite after like, who knows how many years, but it involves a mob of Santas, some elves and a Jesus um, getting into a fight and Pally finding his wallet and then keeping it. You get this impression that there's something like sinister going on with Pally's character at first. Like, and then he extorts, scott's character to stay at the house yeah, of the hamptons it doesn't it's problematic there's something off is yeah. there something off about it because you're like this isn't the character that we get to know but it it's all putting and weird yeah but the yeah. screenplay is like trying to set up like this other entirely different story this entirely different character this entirely different arc for how this is going to go and then it just like you know what? maybe we don't need to do that and instead of rewriting everything that came before it it just keeps moving on and there's something off about it and there's something off about the third act where it's just a bunch of running around and people coming to the terms with things it doesn't it doesn't quite fit in with the nice good feelings of just watching these characters interact and learn things about themselves and each other it's it's you know yeah it's formulaic but it kind of works to a point and right. yeah that point is for me two and a half stars <laughs> yeah i'm in the same place um I'm trying to like there's definitely some laughs but like everything is so I don't want to say like labored like it's not that bad but it is just kind of like you know where it's going to you know every scene and how it's going to manifest and end and there's no real huge surprises like every joke it's just like he smokes weed with their kid and they get mad about it like it's just like it's all so stock and like I also feel like they were they were trying to set it up as a Christmas movie, which also is weird why it opens in February. It feels like they just missed a window and are getting it out. But yeah, it's like you, me and Dupree, but there's a kid there. And um, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think that there's, there's one funny line I wrote down where I think he says, I forget what he lost of his wives, but he goes, yeah, wives can usually tell when you lose things that they bought you. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah, there's some moments and lines and it's totally inoffensive at you know 100 minutes or whatever but it's hard to get in, 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 inspired about but like if you're an adam pally fan if you're like a happy endings guy and you want to see adam pally in like a pretty substantial role you will get it, you will enjoy this so that's my caveat but it is still two and a half guys crashing on your couch out of four yeah it's... we're getting we're getting streamlined with these ratings we're getting yeah we're getting streamlined and we're apparently being very generous too <laughs> on some of these things like, yes. like this was any other very kind this it does i mean it really does feel like grading on a curve with this one because it's like it's a covid movie i'm like i'm done with covid movies but it's not really a covid movie so okay it's like yeah i'll, I'll take this over everything else that's been covid related recently yeah i'm with you um this was a fun week. A lot of stuff to talk about. Seven movies. I hope you guys uh, check some of them out. And there's one of those ones where I was like, check them all out. See how you feel. Some of them are better than others. Um, all right. Thank you for listening to Roger and me. We'll be back next week with 
Magic Mike's Last Dance, my favorite yep. Tom Petty song. And um, what else were we talking about? There's not that much. Um, there's think. not that much. Godland streaming stuff. Yeah, Godland. Uh, um, and then yeah, some streaming stuff that we're gonna we'll juggle around. All and right. See how it works out. Oh yeah, and Consecration, a new horror film from oh, Chris, yeah. Chris Smith, who did did uh, Severance, the old horror movie, not the show, and um, Triangle, which is a great classic horror movie for me i think from 2009 or something uh anyway chris smith's been around for a while he's great i'm definitely looking forward to consecration even though he's also done stuff that i don't really care for um but i'll probably see titanic next week maybe so maybe i'll come in with a little titanic perspective if i if i see it again even though i just watched it last year but whatever it's a good movie um all right bye The show starts in one... Shut up. Ush.